<laughs> All right, we should record this bloody podcast. Welcome to Literary Cannonball, inspired by the work of the Stella Count that reveals the ongoing gender imbalance in the conversations we have about books. Literary Cannonball is striving to correct some of that imbalance by talking about books written by women from around the world. I'm Kirby Fenwick and I'm joined by... Neve Marnie, student by day, writer, editor by night and reader by nature. And Fee... Fee Murphy, here. Right here. Present in this one Present. moment. Bueller. Bueller. How are we all feeling today? Okay, good. I'm ready to chat about this book. Hmm. All right, let's get stuck into it. Book chats for episode 22. The story of a girl who was so poor that all she ate was hot dogs. That's not the story, though. The story is about a crushed innocence, about an anonymous misery. This is how Clarice Lispector describes The Hour of the Star, the novella she published shortly before her death in 1977. Ostensibly the story of poverty and sexism and a young woman struggling to survive, The Hour of the Sun is also a fascinating exploration of the how and why of storytelling thanks to a particularly intrusive narration which I'm sure we will discuss. Perhaps Brazil's greatest modern writer, Lispector was prolific, publishing nine novels, ten short story collections, children's books, and a range of journalism and other non-fiction writing, some of which has been translated. Now, I suggested this book. Um, Clarice Lispector has been on my kind of list of people that I wanted to read for a while, and then over the summer, someone that I follow on Instagram was reading one of her books, and she just sort of like popped up again and I was like okay that's like a sign from the book gods that I need to read some Clarice Lispector. God I love getting signs from the book gods oh, like great. I listen to it I'm like mm. oh absolutely you must respect the good for the book gods wisdom they know the goddesses yeah. of the books <laughs> absolutely I just feel like if something pops up like that that's like all right let's follow that up and so I did and here we are what did you guys think? I felt like it was a bit of a fever dream in terms of mm. I opened it up and read it in one sort of sitting um, with tea breaks, but it was so atmospheric, strange, that I'm really glad that I kind of just went along with the ride but do I remember what happened? Nope. Do I have faint impressions of what happened? Kind of, but it's more the intro that I remember, The and the introduction is done mm. by Colm Tobin, and the um, outro is by the translator Benjamin Mozart, and I remember those with concrete detail. <laughs> and the stuff in the middle, it was just kind of this swirl of so many things happening and I feel like I had to be really alert during it because it kind of slips in and out of the narrative mm-hmm. really quickly that I think I enjoyed it but I honestly can't remember a lot of it. Yeah. I feel like swirl is a really good word. I didn't read it in one shot like you did. I kind of dipped in and out over a few days. And that was hard because it was hard to find a spot to stop because it's just like one big chapter. It's not like broken up anywhere. So there's not Mm. like a predetermined place for you to stick your bookmark and close the book. So um, that was one of the reasons why I kept going because I was like, if I leave this, I'm not going to remember anything. But (laughs) didn't anyway. Yeah, Yeah. but I I kind of feel like... Um, I mean, I, re- I like have like faint impressions of the book, faint to medium, because um, I only just finished it this week. But for me, I feel like it's something that needs more than one read. I don't think you can just read yes. this book once. I feel like you need to go back and read it maybe two or three times to really get a handle on what's been said, why it matters, what's going on. Mm. yeah yeah because there are things that like the specter just sort of drops in there and then picks up like 
30 pages later and you're like what okay yeah cool because ah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I read the first 10 pages of this and then I was so tired I couldn't concentrate and I had to put it and then I'm like I don't remember any of what I just read mm. um but it's good you can't I was like great short book I can just like rip through this you cannot rip through this because it's like every sentence this she's doing something else and sometimes there are sentences that just appear and then they just like, recede and you're sort of like oh okay so you'll you try and filing things back in your brain like I'll try and think that later maybe it's gonna be a recurring thing but you don't know in your first read so you're like ah yeah I don't know it's it was good but I don't know if I enjoyed it I feel like maybe I might enjoy a second or third read I'm not sure I kind yeah. of got it partway through and I thought I would enjoy having someone speak it to me to mm. get the tonal differences because I didn't know what to emphasise in my head or because to me it felt like there were sections that were a little playful and sarcastic but I was having to work hard to figure out if they were being satirical or if it was hard up straight as it was because to me it felt like a very controlling but unreliable narrator the mm. narrator wanted to be very there with their opinion but the story kind of trundled on and they would occasionally interject so they weren't always there they weren't not there and you kind of knew they were there and I think I was much more comfortable with having the male narrator knowing that a woman wrote it because I think he was so annoying <laughs> God, that knowing that a woman created him somehow made him better because I'm like this was designed to annoy me yeah and it's working yeah. yeah so intrusive but like what you say about being unreliable I think is really pertinent because there are points where the narrator's like um talking about you know like I'm not really sure like I don't know you know like but they're telling the story like they're telling you that they're telling they're making this story up and telling you this story mm. but then they're also saying that they're not sure about like the details yeah like, well, you can't be both like you're one or the other and that was sort of yeah like that unreliability but I kind of love an unreliable narrator as well it kind mm. of makes for a really interesting experience when you can't trust what they're telling you so that didn't bother me too much, that sort of unreliability. But, my God, so annoying. Oh, God. And judgy. And oh. judgy, yeah. Oh. Like, I think it was the thing that annoyed me the most is the way he was judging McCabe. Maccabee. Maccabee. We think. Think. See, um, even before was Kirby Maccabee. was like, how would you pronounce the main character's name? I've forgotten her name. Like, there, I've gaping holes of memory in this book and I think because I just had his voice in my head the whole time mm -hmm. and he was kind of obscuring everything about her and I'm just like I want to know her but you're in the way yeah because yeah. I feel like to, in a sense like part of this book works as a satire in terms of like the writer's sensibility and particularly that sort of like male writer sensibilities and how they write women Mm. Um, which is interesting but also I'm sort of like I'm not I don't care as much about that as I do about the actual main character and their story which I, yeah I don't know I think also this gave me terrible flashbacks to when I had to read um, The French Lieutenant's Woman in Year 12 which does a, not exactly the same thing but a similar-ish thing where the actual writer Oh, John Fowles, he inserts himself as a character in the story. Oh, <laughs> yeah, as you do. It's it's really it's so <laughs> it's so long. Like how he does it, like this, and there's like whole chapters of just history, and there's whole chapters of him and talking about the narrative as it's, he's writing it, and then the actual narrative, like how he writes it, in terms of just purely as like a writing student was really interesting. But as a reader, so fucking irritating. And I really hated that book. I was so resentful of having to write about it. Like, it was it was really interesting. But it was also had the same thing of, like, because you're in the writer's head, there's so many ideas got the one time. And you're like, fuck, this is a lot to take in at the one, in one sitting. Or, yeah, one reading. Yeah, and I feel like there's yeah. a lot in here. But I think the idea of 
the narrator obscuring the characters is a really interesting point mm. and I wonder whether that was you know like you were saying Fee about a woman writing this male narrator in this way and he does obscure yeah the main character like he does kind of step in and stop you really getting to know her or understand her in any way mm. Mm. and I wonder whether that was a deliberate I mean I feel like it was a deliberate move on the Spectre's behalf like she wanted to create that where this kind of and the narrator has a name it's escaping me now but Do we they be, they become like the narrator becomes the more important character yeah I feel like that's where the unreliability really came in for me was that I could see that she was a really fleshed out interesting character and he was just palming her off with mm. all these tropes of being like she's just this she's just that and I'm like I can see she's amazing. She's so good. Just listen to her and yeah, just, like, yeah. look at her. She's so fantastic. That I don't even know how Lispector did that because we already get the info from the narrator, but you can obviously see in the world that she's created that the character is just fantastically interesting, mm. which is part of the kind of the feverish aspect to me is that when I was reading it, there's a level of craftiness and cleverness to mm. this that I know that even on multiple reads, I, I would just not get at all. Yeah. And I was really reassured in the outro section of the translator where he explained that her work is difficult mm. in Portuguese and in English and that she's renowned as a writer who just frustrates readers because it's just so different and clever and because when I was reading this I was like how is he choosing these words like is it anything like the Portuguese version yeah of it at all yeah mm. um or the Brazilian version in Portuguese I should say um so I really cherished having that outro there yeah but I wonder if that would have been nicer to have as an intro because getting through the book I was like hey <laughs> I actually when I was getting so like again frustrated with it I actually flipped to the end because that's sometimes like I was like I just want something restful to read so I'm just gonna read the translator's note and then I read that I'm like ah oh, that makes me fit. that's okay I've got context and I'm like yeah this is one of those books where you actually need to do the same thing you probably would do if you were like studying it like you read the intro and you read the translator's note and so you actually have an idea of how to approach the book because I feel if you just go in cold just be like what how do I even how do I read this how do I process it maybe that's a good strategy just in general for reading translated works mm. but I, I found really interesting the idea that um um Clarice Lispector actually sort of like pushed back against like some of the um translations of her work being like <laughs> Um, I know what I'm doing and I made those choices when I was writing in Portuguese. Like, it's not like I don't understand grammar or language. I found that really kind of interesting yes. idea that she's like, no, you can't translate my work and fix these things because there's nothing to be fixed. This is what it is meant to be like and this mm. is how you should translate it. I found that like a really interesting idea of her having and I guess because um I believe she spent quite a lot of time in the US so I mean I'm, I'm assuming she's bilingual so she kind of had that ability to have an influence on the way her work was translated yeah which I find such a kind of fascinating idea because obviously there's never a straight you know, languages don't match up like that. There's very rarely a straight kind of translation. So if you're... She's on both sides of the fence, really, and being able to make a really informed... Um, have a have a real influence on the the translation of her work. I just find that whole concept. Fa I would love to talk to her about it, but I can't. Oh, yeah, definitely. So I feel like if you're going... If you're trying to... If you're approaching this and with a pure editor's hat, trying to be like let's make this let's find the story here guys. yeah let's find a story let's make this more accessible to a reader for like to make it pleasurable for a reader then yeah if you were 
doing that as a translation, then yeah, you would definitely strip it of what I think she intended it to be. Yeah, because what is the story here? Like, is the story the narrator or is the story Maccabee and her experience and what happens to her? Like, which one is the story or are they both the story? Maybe both. <laughs> I don't Though, know. I think at this point in time, it might change. I kind of, it's um, this whole thing, kind of how the narrator is talking and re- like thinking. It kind of reminds me of like um, this uh, speech by Virginia Woolf, and she's sort of talking about how hard, like, how hard it is to like find the truth in the character and to portray them correctly. Ooh, like. It's really good because she's sort of saying... Um, that sounds great. Oh, yeah. yeah. We're going to need a link for that. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It was like... Because she's like... Why the is sort of like a modernist, I think. And yes. she was t- sort of talking about the authors before her, how they sort of used social class and other external things as a stand-in for actual character development. Yes, I've just been studying this, you're absolutely yeah. right. And and her mm. the sort of modernist movement was more about the internal. Yeah. And um, you know, like interior monologues and stream of consciousness type stuff. Yeah. To uh get to the truth of the character as opposed to where they lived, how they dressed, who they're friends with, what their education yeah. was. It was kind of a real and there's a real kind of um, butting up against butting up yeah. against their, um, you know, as there generally is with any new generation. There's always exactly, kind of exactly. a bit of friction there. But no, you're absolutely right. Yeah. yeah. So I don't know if he always like achieves it because, again, as you said, there was like friction between like I feel like there's a character here in their di- in like her dialogue and in glimpses that we get of her, but also I feel like he's so in his own head that he's trying, but also not not. He's not succeeding all the time. I feel like he's trying to tell his own story rather yeah. than taking responsibility of telling her story well. Yeah. yeah. Which is a story in itself because yeah. there's that dilemma there where the reader can see the dilemma of like, mate, you're doing a shit job. What are you doing? Step aside. Yeah. Like, yeah. Stop trying to narrate her story. Which I, as a reader, was so alert it was kind of enjoyable of like having a book that didn't fall down into sort of truisms or like hyper reality or a sort of like predictability that this was just like whoa <laughs> like I had no idea where it was going to end yeah and I can't remember how it ends because it was just like a wash of emotion it's kind of a yeah, I, mean, I don't know. I mean, you could read the whole thing as like a metaphor for kind of, you know, gender relations and class. And yeah. yeah. All those sort of things. Um, I do remember how it ends. But, <laughs> <laughs> but, I, but I don't want to say it because like, I don't want to spoil it in case um, someone hasn't read it before. But I mean, I feel like I borrowed this book from the library, but I feel like I need a copy because this is like, I don't know, like the structure, drink, just feels <laughs> like really even though this this book was published in 1977 so it's it's getting on Mm. but it still feels really fresh and and vibrant and bold even though it's so bold it's what what when was like 40 years ago Ish. Yeah, we're not maths people. Yeah. No, we're writers. <laughs> but it still feels really, to me, it felt mm. really bold and fresh and vibrant despite that fact. And sometimes you read a book that's 40 or 50 or 60 years old and you can feel that that age yeah. in, the, in, the, in the writing and in the book. I couldn't feel that with this. No. It, and to me that's like incredible writing to be almost ageless in a sense well she's sort of gone beyond like because it's so experimental and it's so her own voice it sort of goes beyond like a, a certain movement yeah. like writing movement in time I feel she just made her own movement yeah she just did a respectful movement <laughs> <laughs> unless i don't know unless there was some sort of very experimental movement she was part of we're just not aware of in brazil and yeah possibly that could be mm. it. like I can't tell what our influences are mm. 
but I'm not well read in Brazilian literature mm. and I think it makes it even more exciting to come to something and be like whoa that is just flipping wowzers yeah and then to I'm very interested to read more into that period of if there's more things that have been widely translated and easy to get to just see was she influenced by someone because none of us live in a vacuum every writer mm-hmm. is influenced by something yeah yeah and it'd be really interesting to see what how she got to this point because mm. it's so unique yeah and that's kind of the joy of reading translated works isn't it because you so often don't have that kind of um knowledge of those kind of regional specific canons yeah you don't you aren't carrying all that baggage you know mm. like mm. when you kind of read into the western canon if you've studied or, or you've read a lot you carry so much of that kind of baggage with you but I feel like when you and maybe this is just my person me personally but when I read translated works I don't have any of that with me because if I'm not well read in that particular particular region, I like you said I don't like you said Fee I don't know what their references are or who they're sort of riffing with or bouncing off, and so it all feels exciting as a reader. Yeah, definitely. It all feels so brand new because you it's you can it feels like oh this isn't something I've ever read before because it hasn't been because you're so. You're so used to all the norms of this, all the canons and stuff that you're... So even though in another reader would who's familiar be like, oh, yeah, that's a pretty standard example for you. It's like, this is brilliant and yeah. exciting. What's going on? <laughs> ah, have you ever heard? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it, it was really, really interesting. Um, and as difficult as it was at points, um, I still thoroughly enjoyed it. And I feel like I got a lot out of it and I'm going to have to buy a copy myself to be able to go back and um, annotate it and stuff because I can't do that to a library book. (laughs) (laughs) No, I don't. That's personal rule. Yeah, fair enough. Though I feel like if you just, like, did faint pencil underlines on some of, like, the wildest, like, sentences, people would just be like, fair. Fair (laughs) enough. (laughs) I think that, yes, I agree with that. I borrowed a book the other week that was thoroughly annotated, but uh, in a slapdash manner. I'm like, why'd you circle that word? And why'd you circle that word? Like, mm, it was, uh, Mm. yeah, it was present and in a very dark pen. I was like, oh, this is actually give up on the book it was just so thoroughly I feel like it would be distracting un- yeah. poorly annotated because I'm like are you really into adverbs like I don't know what you're annotating I'm very confused <laughs> I, I feel like you would begin you would start to read for their what they have circled and under yeah I was going from bubble on. to bubble and then I was like whoa I don't oh, actually know anything that's happened yeah 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 yeah, well, yeah. what's that type of, did they write anything in the margins no just circling random words maybe it was that just worse. feels like a yeah, that, that they didn't know. know that's yeah. what I thought, but then oh, if it was know, like an ESL just, reader, maybe no, they just. I think there was like old-fashioned words and new words, and they, it wasn't. Um, I could. I spent a long time trying to figure out. So it was Couldn't a make pattern. a more reason of it. Yeah. No. Who knows? Who knows? Anyway, what what are our sort of final thoughts on the hour of the star? Are we? Uh, giving it giving the two thumbs up to Clarice the spectre um I give a hesitant thumbs up purely because like as I said before I I'm not sure if I wholly enjoy it but also at the same time it's so intriguing and there are so many great turns of phrase like that oh that one line where she's like I think I'd miss myself if I die and I'm like whoa God damn! <laughs> you just and it just like and then look, um, dickhead, uh, other man man character was like, well you'd be dead and just be like, shut up, shut up, let her talk, yeah, let yeah. the woman speak. I mean, I feel like that could be like just the final thoughts on the book in general is let her talk, let the woman let speak. Let her speak. Um, but yeah, and there's just so many great turns of and just how I don't know. I feel like I need to investigate more because there's just so much there and it's so 
like so many ideas that I'm just like, ah, oh, this is interesting. I need to uh, reread. Yeah, I think I can, I'm I'm on the same page with you, Neve. Mm. Um, yeah, I did really like. There was so much that I enjoyed, and there was so much that was like frustrating or like hard to read. Um, but it just feels, yeah, like I said, like so bold and vibrant and fresh regardless and I feel like it's one of those books that I'm gonna want to reread um yeah even I mean had like the beginning all the world began with a yes one molecule said yes to another molecule and life was born that was a gorgeous entry even though I got super frustrated after a couple of pages (laughs) I'm just like start the fucking story I agree with the intro the intro, like I read the first few pages, like I flew through it going, wow. Yeah. And then <laughs> the gears started grinding a little bit for me. Mm. I found this book puzzling and I don't think I had the mental space to read it well. Mm. I think I reached kind of my cognitive capacity quite quickly. So mm. I think that's why I haven't retained a lot of it because it was just so much so I would return to it but it would be in a well rested open space of going this is the style of book that needs attention mm, yeah and a mood yeah yeah so this, no I agree this is like a day like you've blocked up a day you've had a good night's sleep you've Definitely. eaten yes. like you're just at peak capacity you've got a nice read cup of tea yeah and also yeah. willing to know that you're not going to understand it yeah first time around kind of like or poetry. second or third time around 14th. or however many times but of just being like oh i didn't see that the sixth time oh i didn't see that on but the isn't that like go. a just mm. like a, for me that just feels like a generally good reading rule is to accept that you may not necessarily understand or get everything the first time that you read something and that's okay I think that's definitely a good reading approach and I try to approach it like that generally in reading but I think when I know that I've reached capacity but I still need to finish something that I'm yeah. kind of like I've really wasted this reading reading experience yeah mm. and I'm just looking at words now yeah. because I'm I haven't connected the dots enough that I don't even know if that's a dot or not yeah that um Final point just on the dots. Did anyone notice that the full stops are little diamonds? Hmm? I didn't notice until like the third last page. Oh, oh cool. <laughs> cool. Just a good little tip for anyone that might be picking up this copy yeah. of The Arrow of the Star, which is a beautiful, absolutely stunning cover design. There's diamonds for full stop. Yeah, someone had a really oh. fun time setting, like laying this out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I have right. to say the um, I, I would recommend, but I think the essay um, leading into it as a standalone read is like it's up on the Guardian website. It is, and yeah. we'll link to it in our show notes. It's really wonderful. And it's a really great kind mm. of look at complicated books in general mm. and the kind of the feeling around it and what she was. Um, maybe striving to achieve but definitely what he got out of the book and there's some beauty that essay is just so well written it's really great definitely recommend reading that even if you don't go on and read the book i would still read that essay yeah i got so much out of that essay Mm. Mm. yeah all right yeah woohoo to the hour of the star i'm gonna go borrow some more books of Clarice lesbector from the library beautiful I'm going to sort, uh, seek out her children's books just quietly. Oh, really? Yeah, I'm pretty sure I've seen, I'm pretty sure my research revealed that she'd written children's books, so look out my oh, nieces I and what nephews. You meant. Like her she children's children, and, and then, then they, they wrote, wrote books. Oh, no, sorry, that was a misunderstanding. Yeah, yeah that was like, I was like, children's the books. generational like legacy. <laughs> no, I <laughs> feel like we both went, our both, did you both went there. <laughs> it wasn't, yeah. We had similar reading experiences too. <laughs> Interesting. Mm. <laughs>
Okay, to our recommendations for this month, what have we been reading and watching and listening to that we want to give the two thumbs up to? You've got great energy, Neve. <laughs> I think, I think you've we got need to some film good ideas. I think we need to film the like dance that goes with that. Yes, for our <laughs> website, so people can really see what it's all about. It's very entertaining in here. Oh yeah, oh, it's, it's good time. Great. So, what you been reading um, or watching? Spill. Well. Wow. <laughs> As we were discussing before, this seems to be a month where I've been acquiring books but not actually reading them. So, mm, I don't have feeling. Yeah, so there are a couple of books maybe, hopefully, that will be next month. Oh, I love, like, the <laughs> anticipation. Ooh, I'm teasing. <laughs> but it, yeah, because there are a couple of things that are either coming out soon or have come out and I haven't gotten a chance to actually read them yet. So Exciting. We exciting. live in hope. um so what i've been watching is the good trouble um it's on foxtel uh and it's a spin-off of a um another show that i watched and really loved called the fosters i came to the fosters when i was about 16 or 17 and i'm gonna be real the main reason that I wa- like I started to watch it was because it was like there's a gay couple and they're adopting kids and I'm like you've sold me let me, <laughs> let me watch this um and it ran for about five seasons um if you want something comparable I think oh um switched at birth sort of has that same kind of vibe um in, in that there are some storylines where I'm like, whoa, that did not pan out very well. But, like, <laughs> you see the progression of the characters and they're all really lovely and I'm going to be real, like, seeing a couple, like, they're uh, the couple, um, the main couple whose name I have completely forgotten for some reason now, um, you see that they're an actual TV couple like you see them like go to bed and they have like sort of sexier scenes and they have scenes where they fight and like it's an actual marriage that they have um so like that was really therapeutic to watch as like young queer teen as opposed to like I think sometimes with tv mainstream like gay couples they're sort of like almost weirdly platonic Mm, and sort of like there's no chemistry or like why are you two together? What, yeah. What's yeah? Anyway, going to the actual. Sorry, that was a great show, but the actual recommendation, because <laughs> um, that's finished. Actually, our recommendation is um, the Good Trouble, which is the spinoff, um, which follows two of the daughters, um, Kelly and Mariana, as they are in their twenties, living in LA. Um, Mariana is uh, she is a develop like a web like programmer um and so she goes to um work at a startup and her plot line so far has been like quite about um you know the misogyny and racism that she's encountered in that industry which has been really interesting um and also her dating life and other sort of stuff that goes on there and then with mariana she is a clerk to a judge um and so and then that um so far has been quite like there's a couple of different storylines one of the main plot lines is that she is clerking a case that involves police brutality so that's sort of in, in that one um but also another sort of comparison is that if you liked the bold type you you might like The Good Trouble. Oh, you got me on board. <laughs> <laughs> because it has the same sort of vibe of, like, they're in their 20s, there's, like, they're in jobs that they're trying to figure out. Um, oh, I love that genre so much, and I love that it is a genre now. Yeah. It's, it's re- good. And, like, they're dating. Um, there are a couple of queer couples, um, and, like, it's, like, a very sort of modern vibe. Uh, one disclosure, like one thing is that how they edit it is not linear, so just be prepared because oh. I was not, um, because I was so used to the fosters, I'm like, okay, I sort of know what I'm getting into. No, it's a very like, it's a quite, it's a bit of more of an edgier, younger vibe, 
um, not like edgy, not like younger. <laughs> this is good. Yeah, and like they also Kelly and Mariana live in like what is um, like apparently a coming more of a thing where it's like a community space where like they've got like individual lofts, but then they like it's eat. A house. Yeah, well, it's sort of like okay. I'm not sure about exactly, but it's sort of like what they have on is like intentional community. So it's like a community space. Oh, yeah, and they all like so they've all got like it's the the bathrooms are all like together and they're all yeah, yeah. this is but there and then yeah. so you can dine and eat together, but you have your own bedroom. Yeah, it's kind of like a found family vibe. Oh no, that sounds nicer than the the one in the UK that I read yeah. about is like like a plush hotel but they get shit-faced every friday night no this is more like if you come here then like you need to sign up for a bit like community service and oh, we're gonna nice. have like family dinner like this is the type of vibe that sounds great it's kind of like the millennial version of like we want communities in like city because in a city because it's so isolating mm. so that's kind of the vibe anyway and so then because of that, you get other people's storylines, which is mm. great. And there's also a great diversity of characters there. So that's a good setup for, for like a TV show. Yeah. So basically like perfectly set up. <laughs> anyway. Um, yeah, it's really good. Um, like every episode so far I've just found has been really great, really sharp and funny. And yeah, so I've just been enjoying that. Cool. Writing um, that down. Writing that down. <laughs> uh, and then also, uh, something I've been enjoying, it's been following Maxine Ben Clark's poems in the, the Saturday, Saturday paper. God, she is good, and I love her so much. Um, Worth a subscription Oh, to the paper just to read. Oh, stuff. definitely. Like, the first one that she did, like, that, what she started off on as a response to like what was happening at the time I was just like whoa that was so intense and um yeah just all of her poems have been so good so if you didn't know about it get onto it it's good time it's, it's really good it's really exciting seeing that so many people are flocking to paper because of poetry it's, isn't it yes very exciting yeah yeah it's very cool I don't know that's I love a great wreck so I like that mm. okay I'll go next for you Okay. Um, two things this month. I wish I had lots of books to recommend, but I don't. Um, first thing I want to recommend is actually a TV show on Netflix. It's called Dairy Girls. It's set in um, Derry, Northern Ireland in the 1990s um, during the Troubles. As opposed so to like, London Dairy. Yes. <laughs> um, it's five friends, five teenage friends um, navigating that whole thing as well as trying to be teenagers, just trying to be normal teenagers. Mm. Um, it's very entertaining, um, but there's, you know, some sharp sort of political points made as well. Um, it's just it's just really, really well done. The writing's great, like the characters are great. It's just a really entertaining watch. Um, really enjoyable way to while away a few hours just catching up with these kids who are great. It's mm. really, yeah, really well done. So that's on Netflix. Um, the other one I want to recommend is a book that I haven't quite finished yet, but I don't care because I'm sure it's going to satisfy me, <laughs> is um, from Leslie Jameson, The Recovery. The Recovery? Have I written that down correct? It's recovery or recovering? I'm pretty sure it's the recovery. Intoxication and its aftermath. Um, so it's basically a kind of creative nonfiction memoir sort of hype. I don't know. It's the fas- this fascinating type of nonfiction writing that I thoroughly enjoy where it's all these kind of like social, cultural, historical, political, personal kind of um, threads all woven together and I'm doing like a little hand movement here that you can't see but um, it's very enjoyable to watch yeah <laughs> it's that style of non-fiction writing that I thoroughly enjoy um, you know people like Rebecca Solnit um, although she doesn't do so much of the personal but Leslie Jameson is really great at it and this is just another example it's a really big book it's like 500 something pages but don't be sort of scared by that um it's it's so well written it's so engaging and it's such a 
it's almost enjoyable to read even though there's some like tough kind of topics and ideas in here it's just a it's thoroughly enjoyable read so yeah Leslie Jameson I almost feel like it's sitting down with a friend and having a chat having a and like having a DM and they're just like here is the goss so some of the best I feel like some of the best non-fiction writing is like that you don't feel like you're being preached to or lectured or anything like that you feel like you're in conversation with the writer which is such uh, an enjoyable place to be and it doesn't Mm. feel moralistic at Mm. all for a book about addiction and recovery it's It's just like so I did this and then I did it again yeah and again and you know I enjoyed it yeah it's kind of really like she's really honest and she's Mm. not um she's not judging herself Mm. and she's not letting you judge her either yes and um it's yeah it's really really well done and I think these are important stories I know we were having this conversation before Fee about the kind of way that the the male creative alcoholic is kind of lionized and Mm. and you know is Mm. this creative genius in a way that um that women creatives are not given the space to ever be so I feel like these kind of stories and I know that I read um Woman of Substance by Jenny Valentich last year and I'm pretty sure that was last year and I recommended that as well because I feel like these are really important stories Mm. um so yeah it's really great recommend it don't be scared by the size of the book (laughs) 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 all right that's me done what you got, B? Um, I watched Russian Doll on Netflix. I've mm-hmm. heard so much about this. And it's all that and more. Oh. Uh, the episodes, I feel like Netflix, as some series anyway, are heading towards the short, tight episodes of 20, 25 minutes. Mm. Which is nice. Oh, it is such a joy. There's only eight episodes in this season, about 20, 25 minutes piece. If you get a chance, watch it in one sitting because it's um, the storyline is so intricate and tightly woven and so much happens that it's really good just to have all that information as you go along because um, it's kind of essentially like Groundhog Day. She's reliving this night again and again. So there's so many little tiny clues and important bits Mm. of information that build and build to what is essentially a holy shit finale where I just the way they've set up season two I'm just like I did not anticipate that but now that I know I can't see it not working any other way it's clever and approachable and tender and vicious like it is like every character is just so nuanced and likably unlikable mm. and it's there's like some lessons and stories along the way but the people aren't taking the lessons on is like oh now I have to be a good person it's kind <laughs> of like oh kindness oh my god how dull <laughs> and just like you know really kind of unpicking what um attributes are apparently like going to get you to eternal happiness and all the rest of it so Mm. it's it's so great Mm. really great i've only heard i've heard slash read good things about it on twitter so and the cinematography is like it's um i've read some really great opinion pieces by people living in new york who are extremely stoked by this representation of new york because it's less the tourist comes to the big city and is like wowed by the shiny stuff it's more like nah yeah it's pretty much this with like you know rent control and rodents and just rubbish and the life of the city yeah Yeah. so it's kind of really cool that they're just really celebrating the edges in the city yeah so really recommend and it's just really aesthetically pleasing it's just we cool. love the aesthetics here. It's, mm. it's a cool <laughs> show. And when I was watching it, I was like, ooh, this is a cool show. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I really recommend Carly Finlay's book, Say Hello, which yeah. was released in 2019, just recently. 
um, and it's a memoir of her life as uh, an appearance activist, uh, disability rights uh, feminist. It's um, quite a large comprehensive book that covers so many different topics and she's quite generous in her perspective in that it's not just her voice and opinion, she's gone out and researched and interviewed a lot of people about their experiences of um, facial differences or skin conditions or disability. So she's does so much work in showing how nuanced um, different voices are and that's why it's important to publish lots of different voices. So it's a thoroughly entertaining read and she's quite lighthearted so it doesn't feel um, dry at all even though you're learning a lot it's just kind of like she's talking about her love for Savage Garden and <laughs> like how important it is to like connect to people and feel engaged through like fandom and it's really I got a lot out of it I thought it was really enjoyable she's a superstar yeah ah my goodness I can't wait to read her next book if she writes another one which she said she was very tired after writing this but I kind of hope that she keeps on writing books yeah. Um, my last recommendation is a collection of essays called On Looking Colon Essays. <laughs> oh, that's, um, it's a book from 2006 by Leila Peru Pera. Um, we'll put a link in the show notes because I'm pretty sure I mispronounced her name. I do it all the time, don't worry about it. And that's why we have show notes. So go to our website. It's yeah. great. It's easy. It's Everything's spelled you correctly. You can just navigate it and press the link and there you go. Um, this is a slim collection of essays. They're lyrical essays. Um, so the structure is quite fluid and changing and it's quite fragmentary. And it's a lot of different topics. They're quite short in that there are only probably two or three thousand words ago but she goes to all these incredibly different places of spending time in say an anatomy lab and exploring the body through a poet's eyes mm. um different moments in her life and it's very much there's a lot of grief and trauma in the book but the language is so exquisite that you almost want to stay in the discomfort to appreciate the beauty that she's created. Mm. And it's so many different ways of approaching the viewer and being viewed. So it's a book of ideas that is so of a mood and state that it's so irresistible not to look at the discomfort and the things that make you flinch. And I would happily reread it and reread it. It's like, again, it's holy shit. It's like, whoa, how is this book not widely known? Um, and she's just stunning. So that's on looking colon essays <laughs> <laughs> that's a kind of a really clever way to um you know do that sort of talk about that like discomfort and by the use of beautiful language can really pull you in and can like provide an opening and let you kind of sit in it because the language is so gorgeous mm. i feel like um this book would have influenced a lot of essays who came after her mm-hmm. because of the style and approach to things because when I was reading I it, it. Um, Sarah Stanelli's book uh, Draw Your Own Weapons or Draw Your Weapons I was like wow I feel like these books are in conversation mm. in terms of the stylic choices the stylistic choices and the layout and the, the approach to heavy complex topics through lyrical forms mm. that I was just like I wonder if like, uh, like yeah. and, and do they know one another and is this like a there it's just it was yeah it was a real treat sounds great yeah. it's got a bit of a dated cover to be honest but you know mm. well what can you do when you know 
early 2000s they did what they did <laughs> yeah well we were dis- discussing before a not great cover so yeah. it's uh, yeah <laughs> top and tail this conversation <laughs> all right those are some stunning wrecks excited to jump into some good tv and so yeah some uh mm. some essay collections yeah. sorry colon essay collections <laughs> all right thank you for listening to literary cannonball we hope you'll tune in again next month when we'll be discussing mandy ord's when one person dies the whole world is over which is such a great title oh yeah just quietly when i first read that title i was like taken <laughs> yeah. Oh, yes. That too. Bloody. Hell. Oh, it's Sometimes gorgeous. when I see good titles, I'm like, I wish I thought of that and wrote that book. Oh well. <laughs> I suppose they deserve it. I guess. <laughs> <earned> it. <laughs> ah. Yeah, I'm. I'm looking forward to that one. Mm. Seen lots of um, chat about it. I've seen mm. lots of great publicity photos. Mm. <laughs> yeah, with like great people in them. Amazing modeling. <laughs> yeah, amazing modeling. Great book modeling. Thanks, guys. Top stuff. <laughs> <laughs> and if you want to keep the book chats going, you can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And you can tell us what you think about the hour of the star or the essay about the hour of the star. Yes. Or books in translation if you've been reading a book that you just really want to discuss and you need friendly ears and a warm cyber embrace (laughs) Um, yeah we're always looking for recommendations always yeah yeah don't feel like we're the you're like what is it we're the cardboard cutout and you're just hugging it like interact we're here. <laughs> Have you seen that meme where it's like, we're not listening to podcasts and it's like... Yeah, yeah, I've seen it. Yeah, no, we're definitely real, I promise. <laughs> Plus, make sure to check out our website, literarycannibal.com, where you'll find a full wrap of the show notes and full list of and links to our recommendations. That's literarycannibal.com. It's good stuff, guys. It is good stuff. Mm. And that's how it's done. Yep. I need a burger. Oh, same. <laughs> <laughs> One thing I really enjoy is that you and I have gotten very on board the Twitter bandwagon. <laughs> like, we're both on there, liking things, doing things. Yeah, scurvy. Yeah, you're welcome. <laughs> yeah. And I've, like, barely been on it this week because I've been working. But, like, yep. I can distinctively remember we were like twitter i don't know and now we know like the things that are happening on it like yeah seen that tweet (laughs) we're all over it seen the original tweet seen the tweets related to that tweet (laughs) read the thread i am so uh, but question i I didn't predict this happening yeah neither did i